Thanks, Luke. Uh, we're now going to look at Daniel chapter 3. Um, I've picked out a small section. I think you'll know the passage very well, so we will refer to the whole, um, book, uh, the whole chapter, um, but we're going to read um, a section starting at verse uh, 13. So um, Daniel chapter 3, starting at verse 13. And just to fill you in, uh, we've heard that Nebuchadnezzar has built um, an image of gold and uh, made a decree that everyone should bow down um, and worship it when they hear the music. Um, and uh, some uh, Chaldeans have come forward and made accusations about Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. And we're picking it up from Nebuchadnezzar's reaction in verse 13. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in a furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, that you may not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready... When you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into the burning furnace. And who, uh, and who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand. O king, but if not, be it known to you, O king that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. He ordered the furnace to be heated up seven times more than it was usually heated and he ordered some of the mighty men of his army uh, to bind Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and to cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Then these men were bound <clears throat> in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats and their other garments and they were thrown into the burning fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, fell bound into the burning fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astounded and rose up in haste. He declared to his counsellors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. He answered and said, But I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, 
and the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego came out from the fire. And the satraps, the prefects, the governors and the king's counsellors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, we pray that you would speak to us through your word this morning. We thank you for the astounding faithfulness that we see in Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. And we pray that this morning you would stir our hearts and our spirits to take hold of the reality of who you are. That we might have similar courage, conviction and boldness in our own lives. So come Holy Spirit, send a fire in our hearts this morning as we uh, listen to your word and look deeper into it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, before we get into the passage today, on uh, Monday night, James and Lou shared a couple of things that they were reading. And uh, I thought I just wanted to share one thing. And it's, I think it might be relevant. And it's this book here. It's called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, by John Mark Comer. And um, it's a book, all about, he is a, a pastor, he's mentored by John Ortberg, who's a, a very well-known pastor and author. And um, it's a book all about how we need to kind of eliminate hurry from our lives and find a different rhythm. And um, I've been reading it as someone who doesn't really sort of hurry about all over the place. Um, and I feel that it is absolutely kind of, you know, in America, this is reading your mail. I feel like it's absolutely undoing me um, that the parts I've read so far. I've only read four chapters. Um, but if you want something um, else to think about, uh, you know, with the books James and Lou have suggested, I highly recommend it. The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. So um, there's something uh, you might want to look at. Well, here we are in Daniel chapter 3. We've heard from James uh, from uh, Daniel chapter 1 and 2. Um, he's talked a little bit about the structure of the book. And I just want to remind you of a couple of things uh, before we get started. And the first is that the book of Daniel is broken into two sections. The first section is uh, stories for faithful living, really. Um, and... Uh, or you could say stories for faithful living in a foreign land. And um, in those first six chapters, which is the, the, the sort of story side, um, we have tests of faithfulness and tests of wisdom. And in chapter one, we heard about the first test of faithfulness. In chapter two, we heard about the, uh, the first test of wisdom uh, as Nebuchadnezzar's dream was interpreted. 
And in chapter 3, we come to the second test of faithfulness. So that's structurally where we are. The second part of the uh, book of Daniel uh, focuses on the apocalyptic uh, sort of sense, uh, the writings, the vision. Um, And so we've got stories for a faithful people living in a foreign land in the first section. And then we've got vision for people Uh, faithful people living in a foreign land in the second section. So that's the basic structure. And here we are uh, almost halfway, uh, well, coming into halfway, it comes in the middle of the passage, um, through um, the first section of the book. And I've got chapter three, which is perhaps one of the most well-known passages, along with uh, chapter six, the lion's den, in the book of Daniel. And there's so much that's been spoken about over, uh, over the years and uh, I don't know how many times you've read this passage but it's one of the favourites from Sunday school. Most children uh, know this story and um, I don't pretend that I'm going to bring some mighty revelation from heaven that will change how we look at this. So, uh, But what I do want to do is um, again as James has already done, um, look at what's here in the passage and think about what that could mean in our context. So, let's start with Nebuchadnezzar's golden image, which we didn't read about today, but you know it uh, from the story. And we're told in the first couple of verses that Nebuchadnezzar builds this golden image. And the image is 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide. In... uh, our day that is uh, 90 feet high and nine foot wide. Now if you think about a structure that is 90 foot high, um, ideally you want around a quarter of its height to be its width. So really you're looking at sort of you know 20 to 25 foot should be the width of this statue in order for it to have real stability. But this is only nine foot wide. Uh, That's not very big, is it? But it's 90 foot high and it's placed on the plains of Jura so that everybody could see it. And this thing just reaches up into the sky. And I was trying to think of a context um, similar um, in today's world. And I was thinking of, you know, it's very relevant in the news today, um, and uh, which is North Korea. And a lot is being spoken of about... um, Kim Jong-un. And in North Korea, um, they have uh, on, um, I forget the name of the hill, there's the hill in North Korea uh, where there's a museum. And up there, they have the previous two supreme leaders of North Korea um, uh, sort of uh, built into bronze statues that are 20 metres high. Uh, So roughly 66 foot high. And what happens is anyone who goes up the hill and goes to these uh, two statues of the previous leaders from King, Kim Jong-un, um, when they get there, they have to bow down to the statues and leave flowers as a sign of respect. Now, that's very similar to what we are reading about here in the book of Daniel, because we know uh, that... When the people hear the music, whatever music it is, that they are to turn 
bow down and pay homage or worship this statue. We don't know what the statue looked like. Uh, there's no, nothing in the text really that tells us, except that the word image in Hebrew, um, sorry, in Aramaic, it's written in Aramaic, uh, the word there for image, where it says he made him, uh, for himself a, a golden image, it, it basically means in the likeness of. So I would put it to you that this golden statue had something about it that made people think of Nebuchadnezzar. Whatever it was, it was uh, something that was, it was an idol. And for the people of God to uh, respond in the way that Nebuchadnezzar was asking, it, it would have caused them to break the first two commandments. Uh, you shall not form... Uh, anything in uh you know you shall not create with your own hands any image uh to worship and of course the first commandment you shall have no gods before me and those two commandments would have been broken uh if any jewish person would would bow down um to this idol and of course we're faced with uh Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. Some people ask, well, what about Daniel? Where was he? Well, they had a different role. Um, let's, uh, if we um, read the, um, the text um, uh, in verse 8, it says, Therefore, at, the, at that time, Chaldeans came forward and man- maliciously accused the Jews They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree uh, that everyone should bow down when they hear music, etc. And then down in verse 12, There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. So Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego have this job of uh, conducting the affairs of the province of Babylon. And that's what they are. They, they have an administrative role um, and they worked with these Chaldeans. But Daniel's in the court. He doesn't work with Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. They've been given different roles. And so uh, Daniel's in Nebuchadnezzar's court doing stuff there. And so the Chaldeans have no sort of connection to that because they're working in a different space and so that's why Daniel's not involved in this um, this story Uh, but I think we can say without question that he would not have bowed down because we see that happening uh, in chapter six in different circumstances so here we have the people of God and they will not bow down I wonder how we would um, react if, let's say, it might sound a bit funny to suggest this, but let's say that uh, Boris Johnson decided to create a mighty uh, image made in gold or bronze or whatever it was of himself, and he put it in uh, a, a place that you know everyone could see or. I don't know, maybe on a big hill. Perhaps he put it on the top of Chanctonbury Ring. Uh, let's just say that because it's local to us. And then 
you know, whenever we hear music, he says, you must bow down and worship me. Um, and if, and, and let's say to, to make it more, you know, scary, that if we chose not to do that, it would be certain death. I wonder how many of us would feel challenged to, uh, to bow down. How many of us in the cold light of day would sort of stand against that if we knew it meant that we would die and that our kids would not have mum or dad around or our wife would not have her husband around, whatever those things are that we think about. Would we trust that God would save us? Would we trust that in that moment when we are facing death itself, would we have the courage and the conviction to stand firm and to say, I will not bow down to Boris Johnson. It's, uh, you know, he's probably never going to do anything like that, let's be honest. But what if the leader of our nation was very different? What if our nation was more like North Korea? Uh, what if we grew up in that environment? You know, in, in, in North Korea, and I'm sure you know a lot about this, um, some of the things that happen to believers in North Korea are diabolical and people are, believers are thrown into baths of acid and all sorts of things for not uh, doing what they're being told by the regime and, uh, and, and, and if they stand faithful to God they uh, experience the most horrific torture uh, and all of that and my uncle um, is uh, they can't get married, but they would like to be married. Um, his his girlfriend is from North Korea, and uh, she's called Lily. Um, uh, they live in Southampton, but uh, around 30 years ago, she fled North Korea, and she had to uh, go over the mountains and find a boat, and it was incredibly scary, and all the time they thought they were going to get hunted down and killed. Um, she had to flee from her family because of her faith, um, and if she didn't, she would have been murdered. Um, she hasn't seen her daughter in 30 years because of the situation. Uh, they can't make contact. Um, and, uh, you know, and she has told us some of the stories of, of what goes on in, in North Korea. And it is horrific. What if it was us that lived there? How would we react? And would we allow ourselves to die a most horrific death? I hope that under those circumstances I would stay true to my faith and I'm sure you hope the same. But if there is any doubt in me, what is it that Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego had that enabled them to stay true and to stay faithful? We'll come back to that. <clears throat> okay. Just a couple of things I want to point out from the passage that I think are cool. Um, so here we go. Um, Nebuchadnezzar flies into a rage, doesn't he? He gets really angry. The look on his face changes because he likes Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. They've been good uh, and doing good work. And, he, you know, so when they say no, we're not going to bow down. He flies into this rage and his face has changed. And so in that rage... Um, he says, uh, where is it? Sorry, I'm in the wrong place. Let me just get to the right place. 
uh, yeah, filled with fury and the expression of his face was changed. Verse 19, um, he ordered the furnace to be heated up seven times uh, hotter than normal. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. So if you can imagine, right, you, Nebuchadnezzar's got this mighty army. He's the king of Babylon. He's one of the most successful kings of Babylon there have ever been. Uh, you know, in terms of a general, in terms of strategy, in terms of the brilliance of leading a nation, he had it all. He was a phenomenal leader at a worldly level. And his army was extraordinary, so powerful. And he takes the strongest, mightiest guys from his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, who are also strong and mighty because they've not defile themselves if you remember from chapter one in the first test of faithfulness they do not defile themselves uh, they eat only you know vegetables and they drink water um, and they get stronger than everyone else don't they and, and they're sharp of sharper mind and that just everything is better so these guys are powerful young men so he gets the mightiest men he can find to bind them and to carry them to the furnace and on the way to the furnace, these mighty men, these, you know, specimens of humanity cannot stand the heat and they die. How does it put it in the passage? Um, these men, uh, then these men, uh, so they were bound, blah, blah, blah. And uh, oh, I can't find it. Oh, yeah. Verse 22, because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. So the flame pops out the side of the furnace or whatever it does, or you know how hot it gets when you're close to a bonfire or something, if you get too close and you can feel that burn, can't you? Well, this is so hot, um, hundreds and hundreds of degrees and these mighty men just die as they take Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. And I think about this. They're not just thrown into the fire. They're bound up. They're bound up. And I'm jumping ahead because we haven't looked at what Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego said. Um, so um, let's just pop back uh, to verse uh, 16. And this is what they say. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar. We have no need to answer you in this matter. That's pretty firm, isn't it? They're not like pandering to him. They know who they are and they stand. They say, we have no need to um, uh, answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand. Because Nebuchadnezzar has already asked, who will deliver them out of his hand? And they, they're saying, Yahweh will do that. Their faith is so strong, isn't it? We've already talked about that. But of course they say this bit, but if he does not, or but if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Utter conviction. There is nothing about these men that will cause them to let their guard down. They know who they are in Christ. Well, it's not in Christ at this point, but actually for us, that's the context. They know who they are as 
uh, Jewish men in the context of a relationship with Yahweh. They know who they are. They know what they're called to and they are faithful with it. And, uh, you know, and this is a test of faithfulness. Will you be faithful to the point of death? And of course, they are. Nebuchadnezzar goes into this rage. The, the mighty men are struck down because the fire is so hot. And then, Nebuchadnezzar, and then Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego bound up, you know, fully bound. They can't move and they're thrown into the fire and they fall head first into the fire is uh, what it's, well, it doesn't say head first here. It says, uh, verse 23, and these three men, Shadrach, Misha, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. But in other translations, it talks about them falling head first. And I think that is there in the text. And they would not bow down to this God. Uh, It wasn't a God, was it? This idol. But they fall head down almost into this furnace. And if you think about that, uh, how on earth did they stand up? They're bound. They can't push themselves up by their hands, can they, if they're bound? And uh, and their legs are bound. Everything is bound. The the whole lot. They're they're, probably not like quite mummies, but something like that. Um, And then what happens? I don't know. Is it the, the... the binding is burnt off. Um, is it that, you know, God enables that to happen, uh, yet none of their clothing is, is singed or anything like that? But here they are, thrown into this fire. God does not save them from the fire. And in this story, in this account, he does not save them from the fire. He lets them go into this fiery furnace which is beyond any heat that any of us could begin to bear way way beyond of course people dying as they get close to it he doesn't save them from that they end up in the burning fiery furnace and it takes us back doesn't it to promises they would have known Isaiah 43 where it says when you pass through the waters you will not drown When you pass through the sea, it will not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burnt and no harm will come to you, is what it says in Isaiah 43. And here they are living out that experience because whatever they're expecting, and they've said our God can deliver us. And they, I believe that they believe that even to the point of being in the fire because they know they're about to pass into fire, right? So they're probably reciting that scripture. When we pass through the fire, we will not be burnt. And then what happens? Uh, let's read it so we get the right context. Nebuchadnezzar is astonished. And he rises up in haste because he's astonished. And he's like, what the heck is going on? Did we not put three men in the fire? Did we not throw three men? And they were bound. Um And then he says, but I see four men unbound and they're walking in the midst of the fire and they're not hurt. And there's an appearance of a fourth man like the son of the gods. And so in this fire, there's four people. Now, I don't want to burst any bubbles here, but the scripture here is is pretty clear. And I've heard all sorts of theories about the fourth person. But um, 
It says, and the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Okay, it does not say, and in the original language, it does not say the son of God. In the authorised version of the Bible, it translates it like that, the appearance of a son of God. That is inaccurate. Um, if you look at the original language, you cannot translate it that way. And so the, the, the nuance is uh, that it's a son of the gods. And Nebuchadnezzar would under, have understood that because he was, uh, he was a pantheist. He believed in, in many gods. And, and they, within that kind of uh, belief system, they had this idea of what these kind of sons of the gods looked like. Now, it would have been human form, and it would have looked in some way angelic, which is why a little bit later, um, King Nebuchadnezzar says, uh, one like an angel. Uh, yeah, it says, it's there in verse 28. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel. So he says it's an angel. Now, um, I know there are some people who, who, who like to think this is Jesus, that it's a, a prefigured, if you like, a, a pre-incarnate uh, form of Jesus. I don't think that's being true to the original text. I really don't. And I'm not saying that it doesn't point to that, because so much in Scripture points to Jesus. But I don't think it's actually him in the furnace with Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. You are welcome to disagree with that. But what we do know is that whoever it is, it is sent by God. And he is uh, changing the situation. And uh, he is, is showing Nebuchadnezzar who is the God that will deliver Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. And I think it's, it's an angel. I think it's an angel who is, for whatever reason, is sent, maybe so that Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego know, maybe it's so that Nebuchadnezzar knows. We actually don't know if anyone else saw this fourth person. Nebuchadnezzar announces it, but no one else says that they see it. We don't know. Do you know in the, the uh, Apocrypha, and uh, I'm not an avid reader of it, but in the Apocrypha, there is a book called the Song of Azariah. And the Song of Azariah is, in some translations, uh, like Greek translations of the Old Testament, between chapter 3, um, I think it's between verses um, 23 and 24, they insert this uh, passage called the Song of Azariah, and then it has the Song of the Three Jews as well. And in there... It talks about what Azariah did when he was in the fire. And um, I don't want to put too much weight on this because it's the Apocrypha. It's not, it's not the Holy Bible. But the stuff that it says is really good. It says that he uh, repents on behalf of uh, the nation of Israel um, and then he worships. And, and it gives a bit like the Magnificat. It, it gives the, uh, the words that he worships with. And then you have the song of the three of them. And it's all about blessed be the Lord God of Israel. Um, and it, it, sort of feel, it sort of commands, it says, now uh, you people bow down and worship your God. It, it's full of that. Um, really good stuff. Now, I don't want to put too much weight on it, but I'm utterly convinced that 
Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, when they are thrown into the fire, they are worshipping. I don't know if what kind of experiences you've had in your life where you feel fear or scared or like the environment could be really scary. Um, about 20 to 23 years ago, I, I had to have a brain scan and I, I went to the Chelsea and Westminster Hospital and I had to have an MRI and I know a num- number of you will have had an MRI scan um, and nobody knew what was going on. I was experiencing horrific um, headaches uh, and they started to suspect maybe there was a tumour or something like that. So they obviously wanted to rule that out. So um, I had to go and have this scan and of course I'm a little bit fearful. Um, but going to the hospital I, I knew the Lord was with me. And uh, if you've ever been in an MRI scan machine, you'll know what it's like. What, that that you, you're put onto a, like a trolley and then because they were scanning my head from my chest up is in this tube um, which goes all around you and it does this sort of magnetic resonance imaging. And the, the, the system or the camera, whatever it is, sort of spins around the tube and when it does, it goes bang, 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 bang. And it's so loud. And um, it just sort of pummels your ears with this noise. And uh, it did back then. I don't know if it's better today. Um, but I thought, I- I'm not going to be afraid. And in that moment, I just sang this ancient, it's not ancient of days, but it's an old chorus. Uh, and you'll know it. He is Lord. He is Lord. He is risen from the dead and he is Lord. Every knee will bow. That one. And I just sang it over and over for the hour or so that I was in the MRI scan machine. And, you know, as I sang it, this peace just came on me. I know it's not a burning fire. I know it's, it, you know, it's not, it's trying to save me from death rather than kill me. Um, and and I just felt this real peace uh, and the Holy Spirit come upon me. and And I just knew I was okay. And then, of course, you know, a few weeks later, I got the reports and they couldn't find anything. I mean, hopefully they found a brain, but they couldn't find anything wrong with it. And so, uh, you know, but that was a a space for me that was fearful. And I I chose to worship. And I'm sure it's the same for, for all of us, that when we experience fear or things go outside of our control, I've shared with you before about once in a while waking up in the night and seeing a hulking demonic dark figure over my bed with a knife like this as if it's about to kill me I wake up in the night because I feel this thing this sort of spirit of murder and I can see an image I can see a form like a shadow and it's sort of got it's all in black and I just I see it and I go Jesus 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 and this thing just shrinks away and, and, and leaves. It's this sort of reaction that, you know, when we experience uh, fear, uh, my, you know, I've, I've come to a point where I just, I just want to call on Jesus. I want to worship and I want my vision of him to be bigger than anything else that's in the room. And that's where you know, I, I want to take this today. It's, it's, it's the answer. If we experience fear uh, and we're afraid of, let's say, you know, we come out of lockdown 
And we now have an opportunity, if any of you were able to hear what I shared on uh, Thursday morning, uh, summarising the thoughts from Acts, the daily thoughts from Acts. If you haven't seen it, it's on YouTube, you can watch it. Um, I do a sort of, uh, I share there about some, a summary of all the daily thoughts we had in Acts. And in concluding that, I, you know, I want to encourage us all uh, from what we've heard and read about in Acts to be, to be those people who are incredible voice pieces for Jesus in whatever way he calls us to do it. But in order for that, we do need to step out of, you know, we need to break through fear to do that. And I, and James has said this already, but I, I have this absolute conviction that the, the thing that Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego had was an absolute assurance in the bigness of God that their vision of God was bigger than their vision of anything else. It's what enabled Daniel to stand firm and true at the beginning. It's what enabled Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego to not bow down, to stay true and to, to, to be faithful under this test because their vision of God was bigger than their vision of anything else. And we have a danger in society that we allow other things to become bigger and almost more important than God himself. And when we do that, we enter idolatry. That's what it is. Anything in our life that has more significance, more impact on us, uh, more attention from us than God himself is an idol, is a golden image, and we shouldn't be bowing down to it. And so we need to root out from our lives the golden images that are around us. Now the question is, what are they? Because it's not obvious like it was for Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. It was flipping obvious. They're not going to bow down to this bronze, sorry, this golden image. Just like we probably wouldn't bow down, I hope, to, you know, bronze images of previous leaders of um, North Korea or anyone else for that matter. But where are they subtle, these things? Where does the fear of contracting COVID-19 become an idol? Where does the, the I don't know, what, what the things are for us? It could be that. It could be, uh, it could be being really worried about where our kids are going to go to school next. It could be really worried about sickness or, or really worried about our job or really worried about, uh, you know, and uh, I don't know what it could be or, or it could just be a simple escapism. Now, there's, there's nothing wrong with watching Netflix or, or any of the, you know, services that we use in these days to, to you know, whether it's uh, uh, just television itself or, or the, you know, the online versions of it. There's nothing wrong with that. But, but we do need to be careful that we're not instantly just moving to that. You know, I like to have a, a glass of wine in the evening, but sometimes it's not an idol. I can easily do without it. But sometimes I wonder, like, is this an issue? Do, do I need to let this go? And so maybe I'll go, right, this week, not having anything, or I'll fast or whatever. What are the things that are the golden images in our lives? And how are we going to root them out? I don't really have uh, much more to say other than this. 
Verse 26. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. He still speaks with authority, even though he's experienced this thing. I think that tells us something about where his belief system is. He's been astonished, but he's not sort of humbling himself, really. Not really. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego come out from the fire. And the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the king's counsellors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over their bodies. Um, the hair of their heads was not even singed. Um, their cloaks were not harmed and not even any smell of fire was upon them. I mean, how does that happen? You know, you only need to be next to a fire to smell, a, you know, the smoke of fire on your clothes, don't you? Not even the smell of fire was upon them and they were right in the middle of it. Um, uh, and Nebuchadnezzar says, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Nebuchadnezzar recognises what's happened. He realises they would not bow down, they would not worship and they have been vindicated. And he asks the question in verse 15, whose God will save you from my hand? Which God will save you from my hand? And in verse 29, is it? He answers his own question. He answers his own question. Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, who has delivered his servants. He answers his own question. Our faithfulness causes people to take notice. And when we are faithful in difficult circumstances, things happen. And that's what I want to encourage us with today. It's so simple, I know. There's not a deeply profound thing underneath, but sometimes the most profound stuff is the most simple. We need our vision of God to be the biggest thing on our horizon, that our vision of God is bigger than anything else. Because when we operate from that place, we have everything we need to stand the tests of faithfulness and to, to, to prove that we would be true in any given situation. Father, I want to thank you for Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. I want to thank you for their faithfulness, that they stood true that you delivered them, that when they passed through the fire, they were not burnt. No harm came to them. It didn't even smell of smoke, which is a miracle in itself. And that you were faithful to them as they were faithful to you. But even if you hadn't done that, they would never have bowed down. And may we draw strength this morning because we never want to bow down. We never want to be a people who uh, can't stand the heat. And so increase, I pray, our vision of you. 
that our experience of who you are, that our um, ability to conceive the throne room of heaven itself would be bigger and bigger and bigger. That our belief in God's ability to deliver us and to stand true would be the strongest motive in our lives. So that in every experience we have, we remain faithful to you. Because our primary concern is uh, worshipping and honouring the God of the universe rather than anything else. And may we be a people who carry that in the very core of our being. So I invite you now to challenge us and show us those places in our lives where we hold golden images. Where we bow down to things that are not of you. And I want to release over us this morning strength, courage, boldness and a vision of God beyond anything we've ever known that we may be like Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, that we may be like Daniel as we move forward. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's come to communion now. And to do it this week, I'm just going to use uh, the words of Jesus as quoted in 1 Corinthians 11, with a tiny bit of context and we're going to keep it short uh, because I know the service has uh, run on a little bit. So let's just have a moment's quiet and then I will uh, lead us in at this prayer. On the night when he was betrayed, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And Lord, we pray that uh, this morning, this bread and this wine will be to us the body and blood of our Lord Jesus. That as we take the bread and the wine this morning, it would enable us to overcome every area of our lives that may be uh, experiencing some level of idolatry or golden image. And as we take the bread and the wine this morning, may we be cleansed from everything that has got in the way of our vision of the bigness of God.
And so as we eat and drink this bread and this wine, know that the Father loves you, that Jesus died for you, that he has paid for your sins. And feed on him in your hearts by faith with thanksgiving. In your own homes, if you've got bread and wine with you, let's just take a moment now to receive that. The body of Christ. blood of Christ shed for you. And Father, I pray for all of us who are taking bread and wine this morning, that as we commune with you, your Holy Spirit would fill us afresh and empower us to rise up as the people you are calling us to be. That even in this period of lockdown, uh, this sort of preparation time, we could call it for what's after, may we rise up out of this as people whose vision of God is so huge that nothing is impossible. So Holy Spirit, fill us afresh, we pray. And we thank you for the bread and wine that we have received this morning. And as we uh, leave this stream today, in whatever capacity we're doing, wherever we integrate with friends and colleagues that don't know you in different environments, whether it's at the shops or whether it's on online meetings, etc. May we be the voice, the hands, the eyes and the heart of Jesus to all those around us. And we ask this in his name.